Welcome to the Pair Program from Hatchpad, the podcast that gives you a front row seat to candid conversations with tech leaders from the startup world. I'm your host, Tim Winkler, the creator of Hatchpad. And I'm your other host, Mike Ruin. Join us each episode as we bring together two guests to dissect topics at the intersection of technology, startups, and career growth. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Welcome back for another episode of The Pair Program. I am your host, Tim Winkler, accompanied by my co-host, Mike Gruen. Mike, how are you today? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm good. Have you, by chance, heard of a game called Wordle? <laughs> yes, yes, I have. My uh, just, my son just brought it to my attention. Maybe my pairing should be living under a rock and having kids <laughs> or whatever, not being aware, but, uh, but we'll get to all that. <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, get into it. So it's a good time. Um, cool. Well, today's episode uh, is something that we call From Engineer to X. And this is an episode that is centered around the unique paths that your engineering career can take you down. Um, so we'll hear from two guests who are joining us today, Padma Shri and Seth. Thank you both for spending time with us today. Yep. Great yeah, to be here. Sure. Awesome. All right. So before we dive into the discussion, as uh, most of our listeners are aware at this point, we'd like to kick things off with a fun segment that we call Pair Me Up. Pair, Pair is, Me uh, Up. There we go. Uh, this is an ep- uh, a segment where we kind of go around the room. We call out a complimentary pairing. Mike, uh, per usual, why don't you kick us off with, uh, with your pairing? So, yeah. So, uh, first of all, I think my pairing maybe next time would be uh, Tim saying, there we go, after the sound effect. Uh, <laughs> and the sound effect, but, uh, yeah, today's, uh, pairing is, um, I spent a little bit of time thinking about it, but sort of the technical problems, uh, and having like a bug or some sort of big problem that you're trying to solve and just taking a walk or taking a break. Like, I can't tell you how many times, um, that's what solved the problem is just getting away from it. Like I could stare at my keyboard all day long and just keep working at it, working at it, working at it, trying to debug it. And then, uh, it's when I go to like, go get some carrots or, or go for a walk or whatever that suddenly it's like, aha, that was, that's what I was doing wrong. And, uh, or, you know, when I'm trying to fall asleep at night. So, uh, yeah, definitely just taking a break, uh, to solve some tech problems. Love it. Yeah, totally. Uh, totally can relate to that. Um, Cool. I'll jump into uh, my pairing now. So I'm going to go with road trips and unhealthy snacks. Um, <laughs> so I just took a road trip yesterday, actually, my wife and I and our uh, our puppy, we came down to uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. So I'm, you know, live outside the DC area. It was about a eight and a half hour drive. And so, um, you know, for for context as well, I, I married a, a dietitian. So we're usually pretty good about eating healthy However, you know, when you, when we do a road trip, it's no holds barred, you know, all healthy eating rules go out the window. I, um, I stock up on everything from peanut M&Ms, which are probably my go-to candy, but then I'm pretty sure I still have you know, some Doritos, spicy, sweet chili dust tapped into my finger, trapped in my fingernails right now. Um, do you all have any sort of, you know, uh, road trip snacks that are like your go-to? Jalapeno chips. Jalapeno chips, mm-hmm. like the good kettle choice. cooked ones. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Good. Uh, I'm a, I, oh, sorry, Seth. go ahead, Mike. Uh, oh, no, please, yeah, Seth, after you. For, for me recently, I was going to say it's just like a big bag of mixed nuts, like the, the whole mm-hmm. food, salted, roasted nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm. You can eat the, whole, eat the whole bag and then feel terrible about yourself by the time you get there. <laughs> good protein, <laughs> I'm a, though. 
Yeah. yeah. I'm a big fan of uh, beef jerky because it, uh, it has the protein and then it also oh, yeah. stinks up the whole car for the whole family. All right, cool. Well, to keep things moving along, uh, Padmashree, why don't you give us a, a brief intro and tell us what your pairing is? Yep. I'm uh, Padmashree Kennedy. I'm uh, the VP of product at Tableau, which is a part of Salesforce. Uh, super cool. Excited to be here. My pairing is a classic something I would love to start every day with, but I don't necessarily, um, coffee and a pastry. Uh, when I first came to this country, it was black coffee and a muffin the size of my face. <laughs> Over time, of course, my choices have gotten healthier too. And, but then there's always that go-to combination of that, you know, a, a good, strong cup of coffee. And now maybe it's a gluten-free pastry, but all the mm. same. Love that. Did you have nice. one this morning? No. I save them for special occasions, okay. <laughs> okay. like road trips. <laughs> yeah, I, I uh, had a chocolate croissant this morning with, uh, mm, with nice. a red eye coffee. So, oh, nice. so I can totally relate to you. There you go. Um, excellent, Seth. How about yourself? Yeah, so uh, Seth Cousins, I'm VP of product at Energy Hub, which is a climate tech company. We work with utility companies and we focus on flexibility and reliability on the electric grid and a pairing so um mike you you had a like actually relevant to to our work pairing so i'm going to pivot and actually give you two different pairings uh so the one i'm thinking about first was andre 3000 and big boy um, outcast Love which that. for mm-hmm. those of you who are who are older like me you will remember as a groundbreaking uh hip-hop group and then it, but in terms of a work focused pairing a product manager and tech lead like when you get those two people in a room together solving problems that are valuable for the customer and doing it in a really innovative way uh there's some real some real software development magic happens there i know this is right the pair programming and we're supposed to be talking about that but let's get back to the outcast reference yeah, I, I love the, that. Yeah. <laughs> um, what's uh, any favorite album that uh, that you relate to oh man um so Honestly, I have like I don't I don't know their albums so much as I know like I've got a couple of hip hop uh, playlists that I use mm-hmm. for working out or for running, and when like Roses comes on or something like that, I'm like, okay, now I can go hard. Cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Nice. I I love their their like their old school like the Atlians uh, yeah. album, which was you know Elevators and Jazabel. There's some good classics out there. Then they they I like what they they've always kind of like changed up their style a little bit from album to album. Yeah, but, uh, exactly. Cool. All right. Well, uh, good. Uh, good go around there. Let's um, let's jump into the the heart of of the the topic here today. So, as I mentioned, we're going to be talking about you know, the unique journeys that your engineering career can take you. And you know, this episode is a little bit of a different style than some of our other episodes. And so, for context, I thought that it would be most helpful for our listeners to get a a little bit more context on each of our guests uh, and their backgrounds prior to us diving into some questions about you know why you made the decisions that you each made. Uh, Seth, we'll start with you. If you want to maybe just spend you know uh, around five minutes or whatever it takes you to give us an overview on your journey, and then we'll pass it over to Padma Shri for for her backstory, um, and then we can kind of riff on some questions to dig deeper into how and why you made some of those zigzags in your professional journey. Um, Seth, I would love to hear from you. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, 
So let's see. So I've been doing this, like working in software companies and writing software for probably 25, more than 25 years now. Uh, got some gray hair you can see on the side. I started off back in the day at Microsoft as a software engineer in test, which meant my job was to write software frameworks and test harnesses and things like that to test a Microsoft Exchange email server. I'm and, sorry. <laughs> hey, um, <laughs> there, was a, there was a time when that was a, that was a fun thing to do. No, um, I know. I'm just kidding because I, I used to have to administrate it. <laughs> sorry, go on. Okay. Oh, no, I'm sorry for you. It was fun <laughs> to build. <laughs> Um, but I had the opportunity at Microsoft to move from the software test engineer role to a software engineer role. And, you know, it's just sort of off to the off to the races. I spent 15, a little more than 15 years, probably working at big companies, little companies, a couple of students at Microsoft, a startup that stopped starting like some startups do. Uh, and then later, another startup that had a, a reasonably successful acquisition. But working as individual contributor, software engineer, software architect kind of roles. A few years ago, I wound up at a company called Opower, which was a behavioral energy efficiency company in, based in Washington, DC. And I had the opportunity at Opower to step from the R&D side, software engineering, onto the delivery side as an architect of delivery architect. So now all of a sudden, I was responsible for actually making good on the contracts that we had sold to utility companies on the things that they thought that that they had bought and figuring out the gap between what they thought they had bought, what we thought we had sold, and what we could actually do. Um, I did that for a little while and sort of that progressed into, into leading teams of engineers doing that work. So I made this funny transition from being an individual contributor to having a team of 25 people with three managers who reported directly to me. And that was my first experience in my career really managing was, was all of a sudden a team of 25. And did that for a few years. Opower was acquired by Oracle. I had the opportunity to step back into the R&D side in a product leadership role, basically just tying up. I knew understood customers now. I understood how the business worked. I still understood some of the technology stuff so I could pull that all together into a product role. And I've been doing that for the last few years now. That's awesome. I, I'm excited to tap some questions uh, through that journey because there's a, a few that jump out. Specifically, the going from IC to a manager of 25. That's a pretty uh, that's a pretty remarkable shift. Um, but uh, before we dive in, we'll we'll uh, pass it over to Padmashree and and hear your uh, your journey as well. Yeah. Thank you. Um, so let's see. I grew up in a very conservative family in South India. Um, you know, my great grandfather was one of the first uh, graduating engineers um, in India, which is pretty cool. I still have one of his engineering drawings here hanging on my wall. Um, math and engineering and physics and those sorts of things were just always talked about at home. I think this is the one stereotype that I will absolutely attest to that Indians prioritize education. Um, I, when it came to finishing high school and figuring out what I was going to do in college, um, Sorry to go way back, but I'll um, I'll tie this up pretty quickly. Um, I said, maybe I want to be a flight attendant because I want to see the world. My dad was like, absolutely not. You will not serve drinks to other people. <laughs> maybe a doctor. Nope, you will not be touching a dead body anytime soon. Maybe an architect. Isn't that getting closer? No, the pencils are too expensive. 
it was just one thing or the other. And I just kind of fell into engineering school, just like uh, other members in my family. And uh, from that on, when business process outsourcing was taken up in India at the time, I fell into software engineering. Uh, I remember uh, actually learning on the job, essentially how to code and and uh, remembering uh, the elevator problem being my absolute nemesis, <laughs> I was trying to solve. But anywho, uh, so started out as a software engineer, came to the U.S., um, came to Sun Microsystems, one of the best companies I've ever worked for. Um, and um, there I was part of the team that wrote the WebStart SDK. This is basically what you stick into the your, your DVD when you stick into install Solaris or the Java enterprise system. Uh, super proud of that work. But as I started to develop in my coding, I, I kept asking the question, well, who's this for? Um, how are they going to use it? Uh, what happens if they get this feature instead of that feature? Why, why are we building this? And, and at the time, product management wasn't actually a, a well-defined discipline. I would say to this day, it's, I think, one of the harder disciplines to pin down because of how hard uh, I think the job is. But anyway, so my manager at the time said, you know, there's a name for people like you. You're a product manager. And so it kind of started there, um, you know, uh, of course, to, you know, Seth's point as well, sort of learning how to manage people, being a good, strong manager, but more importantly, sort of focusing upon the fundamentals of product management. Uh, who's the customer? What problem are we trying to solve for them? How best do we solve that problem? And how do we drive business impact? Uh, to me, at the end of the day, that's that's product management. And I've had a really rich uh, and interesting career sort of doing that at different verticals, uh, different sized companies, um, and and lately sort of really trying to understand as part of the core leadership, what is the role of the product leader to set strategy, to to make sure that there's enough context and then and then drive business results. So um, if, if there was a DNA marker for it, I think I'd have it. Uh, yeah, so that's that's been my story. That's wonderful. Thank you for sharing that. All right. So um, why don't we dive into a couple of a uh, couple of questions here? I guess one that comes to mind for me, um, you know, I see a, a lot of similarities between uh, URL's journeys that took you down the path from engineering into product. And I think product management is becoming a, a more and more common type of role. Uh, we certainly see it among startups that we uh, collaborate with. And um, I was just kind of curious in terms of, you know, the why I think Padmashri, you, you briefly touched on it, but, you know, was there something that, um, is just this common theme that has you wanting to explore that side of the business? I was, uh, you know, open for anybody to answer that, but just curious and on why that, uh, seems to be a bit of a trend. Well, I, I'll take a quick stab at it. First of all, I wasn't a very good coder. I was all right. Um, I wasn't the smartest one in terms of coming up with the most innovative solutions. Uh, but more importantly, one of the things I observed right away, and I've seen pretty much my entire career to this day, I think people roll their eyes when I make the statement, but I ask, what problem are you trying to solve? Um, I think understanding and separating the problem space from the solution space, this is something one of my favorite product gurus, Dan Olson, talks about as well. Keeping those two spaces separate is just incredibly important, right? I think even Albert Einstein said, construct the problem, spend the time understanding it, the solution can come later. I think that is one of the core elements that really started to, I think for me, form up why product management was a better discipline for me personally, and why that transition from engineering was such an obvious one. Because, you know, if you really truly understand what you're trying to solve, we can define the constraints of what that solution needs to look like. 
then, you know, there's so many great ways to go about solving it. But more often than not, you see people munging the two spaces. And I think that has become one of those, like I said, one of those cornerstones of, of distinguishing these two disciplines and understanding folks who might be good at one versus the other. Excellent. I completely well agree. I, yeah, very well put. And I think that's I think that's one of the bigger challenges I see when engineers or you know, move from sort of that solving problem space into more product management. I did product management for a little while. Um, I knew, you know, I, I had gotten great advice from other people. Um, I realized product management. I didn't enjoy product management as much as I enjoyed solving the problems, but it's it is two very different disciplines. I, I wonder if both of you like when you think about yourselves do you struggle sometimes to not fall into that trap of maybe um trying to propose some some solutions rather than just defining the problem because it it's nice to work with a technical product manager who sort of understands that but at the same time sometimes it can be a it little be really annoying yeah. <laughs> you, you said it <laughs> yeah it's it is a hard it's a hard trap to to avoid for sure because solving problems is it's you know it's such a it's such a fun thing to do so it's for for me i would say it's always a temptation i try very hard to be a listening a sounding board for engineers who are trying to figure out how to solve their problems and or come up with a solution maybe offer advice in the context of that but i i really try to let the engineering team or engineer i'm talking to lead the discussion, explain to me the solution that they're that they're working on, that most of the time feels like it it strikes the right balance of letting me feel like I'm like I'm part of the solution while also not not kind of overplaying, overstepping my bounds. Very cool. Yeah, I think um I think those are certainly reasons that would resonate with our audience. Um, you know, the the listeners uh, they range from you know engineers to to product folks to folks that are working within data. And I think you're 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 taking down these different verticals based on you know some of your passions. Um, I see another common uh, ground here from both of your all's journeys that I just wanted to point out, um, which is you know it seems like you both started with some pretty large. Uh, enterprise companies, uh, larger organizations, and you uh, went down a path of you know going into some smaller smaller companies or startup environments. Um, curious in in terms of you know was that just uh, organic or did you intentionally pull did you intentionally like go down that path or was it something that you know you were pulled in from somebody that you knew um i'm i'm always curious on on how folks get pulled into the startup world starting in a, a larger setting yeah i can i can jump in first on this one so i think as if as i look back on my career the most obvious thing that jumps out is my entire career has been fairly organic it, i have not I, i'm not a person who has a 5 year plan i can't tell you what i'm going to be doing what in my next job or in the job after that i don't i don't necessarily have a goal but the whole time i have been he just had my eyes open for the most impactful most exciting kind of hardest thing that i could do next and every now and then those those opportunities arise when i left microsoft it was it was following some friends who had joined a startup so there was an opportunity to do that but it was, yeah, it was 
it was an opportunity to be at a very small organization, one of maybe four engineers or so, and have a bigger impact in the work we were doing than the stuff I was doing at Microsoft, which was you know, sort of building and shipping a box of software, a DVD that we would ship once a year or something like that, switching to a place where we were actually you know, updating the production server multiple times a day was, was an exciting... That was the exciting shift for me on that first one. And, and then since then, startups, if you do a startup well, it turns into a big company. It either grows or it gets acquired. And so if you like working at startups, unless you're just going to switch to early stage startup, early stage startup, at some point, you also find yourself moving back into, into big companies. And I think the, the sweet spot, the place I've found I really enjoy is that transition from startup to big company. When all the startup things stop working, when you start to have to build a little bit of structure, but also keep everything as fluid as possible to let people still make it, make progress, that's those are the most fun problems for me to for me to focus on these days. Yeah, and I would say in my case, um, going from a large company like Sun Microsystems to a startup was absolutely a very deliberate choice. Um, my last uh, initiative, like I, I went and got an MBA once I realized I wanted to do product management. So I was taking on different projects and initiatives inside uh, Sun. Um, and one of the things that I did was I wrote a business plan for a 700 person organization, which was a part of the services organization of Sun. Um, they had about 40, 42 different products that they were working on. I basically did an analysis of what space are they in. And I came back with a recommendation, which basically said, well, 35 to 36 of these products should probably be canned because they're not making any money. These three need more investment and these four cash cows should continue to thrive. Um, I, I remember giving this business plan to the, to the then VP of that organization. Um, he just quietly sort of looked through it. He said, thank you very much. And then he sent me off. Um, a few weeks later, um, I was part of a huge layoff, which <laughs> ah. <laughs> uh, basically closed down 80% of that division because it wasn't making us money. So, you know, uh, both both uh, validation as well as um, time for change. But at that point, I think I, I very clearly felt like I needed to go to a smaller place where I could have a better understanding of, you know, the small changes that have big impacts into where and how and whether a company is successful um, and quite honestly, I would say like through my career, I, I seem to always be swimming upstream, which is, you know, initially it was, you know, being an engineer, writing a solution and then asking what problem are we trying to solve? And then over the years with sort of growth in management as well, what is the strategy? Why are we going here versus here? Uh, why are we spending, you know, 80 of our hundred dollars on this as opposed to over here? Uh, so asking those questions and going upstream have made me sort of understand that in a smaller company context, um, I can. I have curiosity. B, I've, I've wanted to build that skill of you know setting strategy and executing strategy, and so um, going upstream and, and wanting to be obviously in a smaller context that is that is much more possible. Uh, current uh, choice of company notwithstanding. So here I'm hoping to learn um, again what it's like to to build things at scale and and take a company through scale. So um, yeah. One of the things I think is interesting, like when I like think about my own career or other people's careers, people who like you started in one place, it, it's usually not linear, right? Like you didn't go from engineer to this, to this, to this, to this. And there's probably some things that you did along your journey that maybe were, I don't want to say dead ends, but were like you tried it and realized, no, this isn't the right direction for me. I'm curious, like 
because this, you know, this episode is really about career journeys and how you got from where to there. I think those dead ends are just as interesting. Are there any that you think back on as highlights or like, yeah, I'm glad I had an opportunity to do that because I learned that's not for me. <laughs> and you can keep the company confidential if you don't want to throw yeah, them yeah, under yeah, the yeah. rug. I mean, you're not right. <laughs> I, I'm really speaking more from a role and from a personal perspective. Um, like for me, right. I went into product management for a little while, realized I understand what it takes to be a good product manager and it's not for me. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I went back to managing engineers. So I'm just curious what you what your experience has been. Yeah, I can go first. Uh, one of a good a good mentor of mine back in the day said, uh, "Think about career journeys as as climbing the side of a mountain. There are times when you're going to have some steep um, sort of progressions, and there are times when it's going to feel flat, and there are times when it's going to feel like it's going a little bit downhill too. That's okay. Just understand that." You know, the broader general direction and trajectory is towards a mountaintop, but it doesn't necessarily have to always be boom, boom, boom. That was, I think, incredibly useful advice for me because, um, you know, you, you start to beat yourself up, right? It's a combination of various circumstances. At any given point in time in your career, it's a combination of what you're good at, what the need is, right? Where maybe you're situated, where, you know, technology careers are going in general. So it was a series of sort of different factors that sort of came into play. Um, I would say I tried engineering management actually before, right around that time when I was trying to figure out what the hell product management was. Um, I tried engineering management. I really enjoyed the aspect of managing and helping people grow. And I think Sun was one of the better places in terms of good management training. I still carry some of those good lessons to this day. Um, I, to this day, I really do love coaching and supporting people in their career success. Uh, but engineering management as a career path was not the right thing for me. Um, but then making that switch from, you know, people used to be called resources, we're calling them people now, thank God. But, uh, <laughs> you know, in that in that transition, understanding that in a product management capacity, I do not have access to this investment. I can do my best job justifying how this investment should be spent, but I don't, these are not, this is not my team, right? So sort of understanding that whole influence without authority, I think that was, that was an important lesson. Um, and again, I think the other piece would be, you know, just larger companies versus smaller ones, which are going through scale and, and growth, um, understanding what my happy place is and having, uh, someone lately has been giving me some advice about, uh, impatient patients, um, around, you know, it, when you are in a larger context, you know, sometimes in, in a product management capacity or otherwise just having some patience for, um, what, uh, how things might be slow in how they're moving, but at the same time, you need to sort of keep pushing the envelope, which I think is also a pretty important skill for our product management uh, folks who are listening in. Um, yeah, so there's a couple of things I would, I would share. Hmm. Hiring the right software engineer doesn't come easy or at an affordable price. As an early stage founder growing quickly, you need strong technical talent without breaking the bank. That's why we created Scale, Hatch IT's flexible recruiting program tailored for startups hiring on a startup budget. Whether you're looking to bring on a new head of engineering or a product manager, Hatch has you covered with dedicated support from seasoned tech recruiters at a fixed monthly cost. Take back the time you've spent sourcing through your own LinkedIn connections and let Hatch handle the heavy lifting of recruiting for you. And while you're at it, give your CFO something to smile about when they're no longer paying for high-priced finders fees. Visit us at hatchit.io to start hiring on your startup budget today. Well, so for myself, Mike, I would say the, so this, this is interesting actually, because 
the thing looking back on my career that I can think of as the biggest quote unquote dead end was also sort of the biggest growth opportunity for me. And that was moving from engineering onto the delivery side, onto the, it, it was at Opower. It wasn't, it wasn't like consulting in the way we sort of like traditionally think about big company consulting. After Opower was acquired by Oracle, it felt a lot more like big company traditional consulting. But so it was a dead end in that I spent about four years doing it and realized I really, really wanted to be on the understand the problem and solve the problem in a scalable way side of the world. I, I felt more comfortable back in, in product management, engineering type roles, but it was, it was such a valuable thing for me to do because that was the first time that I came out from behind the keyboard and had to really deeply understand what a customer cared about and what problems a customer was trying to, trying to solve. So you know, it wasn't, it turned out not to be the thing for me, but I learned a lot doing it and it really opened up. I wouldn't be in the position that I'm in today if I hadn't taken that step a few years ago. How long were you in that consulting role? It was, oh boy, um, you're testing my math here. I think it was probably four years total. So um, a year and a half or so at Opower before Opower was acquired by Oracle. And then a couple more years at Oracle. Mm. Pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's such an interesting, uh, that's actually a, an episode that we're trying to uh, craft is, you know, uh, going from startup to acquisition and, and what that experience is like, because it's, it's really, it goes one of two ways. We've seen it, you know, a lot of folks, uh, you know, from a recruiting perspective anyways, you know, you know, we're very keen to it when a startup is acquired and knowing that there's going to be a, a shakeup, right? There's going to be a, lot, a number of folks in that seat that are terrified or folks that are like, oh, this is incredible. You know, Oracle Scott gobbled us up. I can't wait to, you know, work for this larger company. Um, so yeah, we might be tapping your shoulder, Seth, uh, later on for an episode on, okay. on acquisitions. But I wanted to um, ask you another question, Seth, because I think Palmashri, you you um you touched on it, and it's something that I've always I think back on my career um, and mentorship, and and something that you know one of the reasons we we built this community of Hatchpad is is for folks to be able to tap mentors, um, if it be peers, if it be folks at a more senior leadership level, uh, just the importance of that, you know, in, in your career and and going out and seeking that out is something that. Um, it doesn't always happen. And I think you kind of, sometimes you fall into it, but Padmashri sounds like you had a great experience with a good mentor. I love that quote about, you know, the, the, the career journey of navigating a, a, a mountain. Uh, Seth, any, any mentors or, or uh, advisors that, that, that stick out in your mind that were instrumental in your development? Yeah, this is a good question. I would say, so I've had I've had a few important sort of situational mentors, and by that I mean not a long, long-standing, long-term mentoring relationship, but rather a person who, you know, maybe just over a fairly short period of time, helped me figure out an important next step to take. I had um, the the job actually that I had before I went to Opower. The the founder of the company that I was at, we had been acquired and then we were being wound, you know, our division was being wound down. So we were all going to be laid off. He gave me some great advice uh, to, to me and a group of us who are thinking about what to do next, which was in your career, 
you will have maybe 12 chances to take a new job, um, give or take, maybe a few more, maybe a few less, but not that many. And when you take a new job, that is the biggest opportunity for you to set the trajectory for the next stage of what you're doing. That's the biggest impact decision that you're going to make. So that's like, that's, an, that's a decision which is worth optimizing. Hmm. It's, worth picking, it's worth picking a new job that you are excited about and an opportunity that you think is important for you, whether it's the company is going places or you're going to learn a, a really important thing or get to work with great people or whatever the reason is. That is the decision that you should optimize and spend the time to make sure that you're making it right. So that was some great, uh, great advice that I got. Good advice. Yeah. That's really neat. Yeah. I'll share one uh, that jumps out to me as well in my career. Just um, uh, previous to Hatch, I had started up an offshore recruiting company out of Bali, Indonesia. And my previous business partner, he had lived in Southeast Asia and was recruiting nurses, uh, bringing them into the States. And one of the things that he always would, you know, kind of slip into slip into my uh the back of my mind was uh you know get out of your comfort zone uh because i get very com- you know everybody wants to get a bit comfortable and there's nothing wrong with that but when you start to put yourself into uncomfortable situations you learn quite a bit about yourself and he was the the the, the catalyst for me you know leaving the country and going and spending a couple of years and in, in southeast asia and and um you know i attest like where I'm at today with, with that kind of advice, it continues to kind of be a little bit of a mantra for me anyways, of, of, uh, living outside of my comfort zone and, and trying to take that approach, not just in business, but in personal life as well. Um, Mike, any, anything for you? Yeah. Interesting that you said that. Cause, um, my mentor who, um, recently passed away actually in 2019, she, mm-hmm. um, she was one of my first, she was like one of my first managers early on in my career and, um, just always was there. Um, really amazing person. And I remember, very similar advice about, you know, um, taking the next job and really making sure it's the right opportunity for you. Very similar to what Seth was saying and, um, the, um, leaning into discomfort or like stretching yourself or like, um, was another one to, to what you were saying to him that she really emphasized was like, you know, know that you can do it. Like, take opportunities, take a little bit of risk. Don't be, you know, and, and, and lean into those, 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 when you're feeling discomfort, like that's an, that's an opportunity. And I think the one thing, um, even beyond that was really just being open to those opportunities. So like when I think about my career, um, at my second job, I got put into like a management position and as it was sort of a, it was a weird management position because it had a lot of responsibility, but not a lot of authority. (laughs) And so it was, it was difficult. And I was in my twenties, it was my second job. I didn't, you know, and then I went back to being an IC and I remember when an opportunity then it presented itself again to go back into management and thinking back like my experience having managed previously and just talking to her a little bit about it and her saying like, no, just because you had that one experience in your 20s, like you're now older, more, you know, you have more to draw on and, and I don't know, just being really open to those different things and, and looking for, for opportunities. So when I think about my career, a lot of my biggest uh changes actually weren't wasn't between jobs it was while i was at an organization so um switching um it's one of the advantages of being in a startup right like i had the opportunity to try on product management um i don't think i would have been able to do that somewhere else and i and it was okay to fail it was okay to like take this chance see how it goes um same thing with um managing people um they 
they were like, we think you'd be good at it. Let's give you an opportunity. And uh, it went really well. And I really enjoyed it. And I kept on being an engineering manager. And so anyway, so I think just really being open and receptive to trying things because you never know what you're going to really like or not like until until you get into it. Um, it's sort of yeah. My, and if, yeah. if I could maybe just Please. add a couple of points on top of what you were saying, I think the first one, just sort of pulling from what you just said. Imposter syndrome is something folks struggle with a lot, right? Yes. Um, you know, <laughs> any anybody, not just not just women. Um, the whole you live life really only once. And if you want something, uh, be hungry and go after it is 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 something that I think is important to remember. A lot of times we hold ourselves back um, because we think we don't have the qualifications, uh, but mentors can be really helpful in sort of helping us sort of cross that um, threshold and then take the leap. And then I think the second point I would also make is mentorship doesn't come in very formal ways still. I mean, I think some companies have set up good mentorship programs, you know, with folks inside the company, folks outside, you know, building a network, et cetera. Um, it's not a well-defined space yet, in my opinion. I would say, you know, it's really important for folks to just actively be thinking about who might be folks they can put in that role of mentor. It may be, to your point, Mike, an old manager. It could be, you know, other folks that you work with that you happen to trust and you feel safe around. Uh, but actively being hungry about and asking for mentorship and seeking time with that person is, I think, a really important lesson. The mentor is not going to sit there and wait for, you know, just initiate conversation with you. You need to start that, but if you do, it can really pay back in spades uh, and really help you think about things in a different way. Yeah, actually, it's funny that uh, I, maybe we should have a conversation. Uh, yeah. One of the things my mentor very early said was like, because when she was my boss, like when she was my manager, she wasn't my mentor. She was my manager. Then she moved to a different right. part of the company and she was still inside the company, but I sort of saw her as a mentor. I would say she didn't really become my mentor until I was at a different company. Well, until both of us were at different companies. Um and I think that was something that she impressed upon me as well, which is like, you can't ex like your current manager can't be your mentor. Like you need someone who's sort of outside of it, someone who's vested in you and what's in your best interest and who can help you navigate that relationship with your manager or with other people in the organization, whatever it is. And I think that was another piece of really important advice was like, yeah, it could be someone you previously reported to, but it asking for mentorship, like mentorship within the organization is all well and good, but at the same time, recognize that the best mentors are frequently not someone within the company you're currently at, um, because it's, it does put them in a, in a weird position. There's, um, there right. is like a, an inherent, um, there's a word for it and a phrase that I'm conflict. just conflict of interest. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, that's, you know, um, and the imposter syndrome, I think every, almost every great engineer I've ever worked with, I think, they suffer from imposter syndrome. They are just waiting for somebody to figure out that they don't actually know what they're talking about. <laughs> the, the good news about imposter syndrome is that that doesn't go away. And <laughs> one and two, good no, 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 no matter no matter what position you you wind up in, you also realize like no one doing this job actually knows how to do it. Right. This is this is part of the thing about growing in your career, about changing things is you're always working at the edge of what you know how to do. Hmm. So, you know, so Im true. imposter imposter syndrome is, I don't know, it, it's it's maybe actually, you know, Michael, like you were saying, the feeling uncomfortable is a sign that you're doing something interesting. Feeling like you don't quite know what you're doing actually is a sign that you're that you're growing, that you're right. trying new things. 
So I, I can't tell you how many times syndrome like is a, a negative way to say it, but there's a, you know, you can think of it in a positive. Oh, I definitely take it as a positive of a, as a motivator. Uh, but yeah. Um, Tim, what were you saying? I'm sorry. I, I can't tell you how many times I feel like a fraud uh, as the f- founder of a small business that's growing. And, and I'm sometimes have no idea what I'm doing, like trying to build a marketing department right now and a growing a community and just literally, li- literally talking to folks about um, stuff that I have no experience with, but I'm just sitting here and I'm learning each, each day. Um, and, you know, I think it's something that I've, I've said re- repeatedly on, on the podcast is like, I think our team appreciates when you're vulnerable about that and you open up and you're transparent of like, I don't, I don't know it all. And so that's why we hire folks. And also like to the mentor piece, we're, we're experimenting with this mentorship kind of like program where we don't have a product team, uh, but we're building products. So I was like, we, we probably need a product advisor or, or a mentor and so we've aligned a, a product mentor to work with our marketing team to get them more into this product mindset versus hiring a product person it doesn't make sense for us right now. We're not a we're not at that stage, and you know it would be um uh you know just kind of ill advised use of of our of our budget to go down that path right now. So taking a baby step, we're kind of like putting our our toe in the water here by using a mentor to help educate and, and teach our team to to think like a like a product person would through the use of a, an advisor is a really interesting um, approach we're taking. And we're doing the same with a digital marketing mentor and just areas that we don't all have the experience in. Um, I, I love it. I think it's something that we could talk about for hours. I do want to be mindful that we we want to get to the the last segment uh, before we we wrap up in about ten minutes. So. Any closing remarks um, that you all want to, you know, I guess, throw out there to our listeners? I mean, we 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 hit on a good amount of things. I think the the mentorship piece is a great uh, way to cap it. But if there's anything else, you know, you know, the the mic is yours. I mean, the one thing I might say is, um, sorry, Seth, you were going to go. Oh no, go go ahead. Todd. Okay, cool. Uh, I was going to say. At any given point in time, as you think about career choices, I think Seth, you also said it well in terms of thinking about what those clicks in the trajectory might look like and thinking about and being more deliberate with them. Um, on top of that, I might also add that, you know, the ideal job or the dream job is the combination of something that you're really good at and something that has demand in the world, right? Um, or rather something that you're good at and something, um, uh, something that you enjoy, actually. Uh, I might even change that. Uh, so ideally if there's a, if there's demand for what you're wanting to do, you enjoy doing it and, you know, you're good at it, then, you know, you're golden. I think a lot of us are still in the pursuit of what that might look like. So maybe deliberately thinking about what am I good at? What are some things that I want to next pick up? Uh, what might I enjoy? Uh, might be some thoughtful ways to sort of think about career trajectory in a more deliberate and intentional way. And, uh, and then if product management is your jam, then, you know, go learn, uh, go, go figure out what, the, what that might journey might look like, surround yourself with mentors and, um, and then, you know, uh, go take the leap. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. I, I think I would just add, or, or maybe just build on one of the points you made, which is, um, having understanding the context of what you're doing and why you're doing it is so important in figuring out what that value is, figuring out why, how, how you can be more valuable in your current job or how, how you can find the, a really valuable next job. For me, it was getting to really, really understand the customers for the company that I was in. Mm-hmm. And 
one of the big jobs of product, of course, is to help make sure that the engineering team understands the context that we're operating in. What are the problems that our customers need to solve? What is the business able to support and not able to support today? So I don't know that if if you turn out to like, I don't know, be really, really excited about figuring out the context and explaining the context to people, that could be a clue that product management would be a great fit for you. If if not, just understanding the context will help you continue to grow and be more and more valuable and have more and more, you know, large, so I guess larger, larger roles, whatever that means in the engineering sphere. Awesome. Okay. Well said. Yeah. All right. Um, well, yeah, I'd love to transition us into this uh, final segment here. So the this colorful wheel over my shoulder here, this is a, a segment that we call Round Out My Career. Um, so it's a, a segment where we spin the community wheel behind me. This has topics and questions that are crowdsourced from the Hatchpad community. And these are um, topics that could range any, anywhere from you know compensation to mentorship to diversity. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and give it a spin and uh, see what today's topic is. My best Pat Sajak here. Mike, you might, my Vanna a White. legit wheel. Yeah, it's legit. <laughs> Thanks, Amazon. <laughs> All right. So, benefits. Um, I'm going <laughs> to. We get hyped on benefits around here. I'm going to jump into some of these questions. Give me one second. Okay. I think this is a kind of fitting here, uh, given today's recruiting market. Um, What's a benefit that you would recommend more startups should offer to attract tech talent? Why don't we start with uh, Padmashree? Well, um, I think with the shape of work, uh, the way it's changing these days, uh, you know, companies are still holding on to some aspect of hybrid, as they call it, as opposed to truly thinking about a remote first approach. Um you know, what might be benefits that actually attract a, a, a team of smart people uh, in that context would be helpful. I've seen companies offer down payments for their first homes. I've seen, uh, you know, again, of course, having a remote first policy to begin with that is truly grounded in, you know, a solid set of documented uh, work habits, processes, uh, principles, etc. Uh, I think remote first is, is definitely a big one. And then sort of related to that would be the ability to work and live wherever you are and supporting employees would be a really attractive way to retain and, and attract new smart engineers. 100%. Couldn't, couldn't agree more. I can tell you that it is a quite a quite a headache when we we work with companies that don't offer any remote flexibility in today's world. It's it's um, you know, it's just a new normal now and uh, to to adapt to that and be able to work with remote teams is a necessity. Um, so I, I completely agree with you. Pretty cool on the the assist, assistance on the down payment of a first home. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, Seth, how about yourself? Yeah. So clearly I was going to go also to uh, remote or flexible, flexible work arrangements. Uh, anyone who is trying to, trying to hire technical people today knows that that's a, that's a really important thing and it's top of mind for everyone. So I'm not sure covered it already. There's, I don't, I don't have a really concrete, like, uh, you know, really, really concrete answer here, but there's something very important about 
startups having diverse teams of employees. In other words, people from different backgrounds with, who approach problems in different ways. So that can look like people with different ethnic backgrounds of different genders, different socioeconomic backgrounds. And when you think about that, that means people who have like, they may have children already, so they may need childcare. They may, um, they may have family, family issues or health issues, so they may need a good healthcare plan. So this is, I would say this is less about a specific benefit, like, oh, you just need to have this benefit and everything will be okay. It's more about having the flexibility and having a flexible mindset to be able to bring in um, employees who are not all just like early 20s, recently graduated from college, don't have any, any major responsibilities so they can, uh, they can afford to, to work long hours for, for less money. Um, of course, you're trying to stretch your dollars, so you want to hire people like that. But you will, as a startup, you'll have better outcomes if you have a, a more diverse and representative team. It's interesting that you say that because I think um, there's a company that comes to mind that I know I talked to where um, they basically are like, here's here's your compensation package and then you can decide what, and we have a very diverse like benefits mm. and you can decide mm. like what benefits are valuable to you. Because I know like at some companies, like I worked at a company where we had some benefits that were really tailored towards um, 20 somethings just out of college. Here's some stuff to help you pay back mm-hmm. your college loans. I remember there were a number of the more senior engineers on my team that were like, that's great. But like, what are you guys doing for me? Like you have these like benefits for people with kids and you have these benefits, like you have great health insurance for people with families and you have this great benefit for people with student loans. But what about me? I'm sort of in this like donut hole where there's no benefit like that's really. And, and so yeah. trying to come up with that diversified benefit. Plan, mm-hmm. I think is, is pretty cool. Yeah, I really, really love what both of you said. Just, I mean, really understanding where your employees are, what might be most valuable to them. I mean, yeah, sure. I mentioned mortgage, but say if someone doesn't plan to buy a house, it doesn't make sense. Right. Mm-hmm. Another person might want to actually freeze their eggs. I mean, it, it's understanding truly at different stages, right? right. I mean, folks are yeah. going to be, some folks have college loans. I mean, it understanding what might be helpful to them and make them feel loved and, and cared for uh, would, would go a long way to attracting great talent. And, and you need to follow through all the way, right. not just say it, but also do it. Yeah. And I think one neat. of the other ones is like um, what you were saying was, um, you know, I, I think it's more than just this remote first. I think it's like really leaning into the fact that this is the new world. And I've seen companies that are offering travel benefits. It's like, we don't care where you there work. You like, go. not only do, do we like have a remote first policy, but we honestly do not care where you work. And we're going to help you pay to travel. If you want to travel around the United States or you want to travel around the world, we'll help you do that with some sort of benefit, whether it's um, reduced airfare or maybe um, money towards, you know, however it's going to work. And I've seen various ways that that's worked. And I think it's it's interesting to take it from this like remote first, like, oh, you can work from home yeah. to like, this yeah. idea of like, no, we're going to support a digital nomad um, who's yeah. traveling around the world. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Uh, can I just do just one please, more thing? Please, please. <laughs> um, yeah. I was also going to want to be mindful of time, but I also want to, you know, sometimes the reason why companies don't do a good job of this is because they don't, there's two sides that are trying to balance, right? Which is the bottom line for the company and the benefit and progress for the company versus being an advocate of the employee. I do think there's a way to look at both as, as a possibility where, you know, a really motivated, well-supported, well-cared-for employee will actually help you drive business results. Companies that actually do see that intersection are the ones that are truly, honestly, I think, successful. 
Absolutely. Like a, like a there's line. a, there's yeah. a great Star Wars quote that I always think of in those terms, which is like um, when people start talking about the benefits and blah, 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 the, the, like the, this draconian like feeling of like the more they tighten their grip, the more star systems will slip through their fingers. It's, it's very much the same. Like you, if you actually have a more, op- like if you're more open and more supportive of, of employees and trust them to be productive and do these things, you'll actually get much bigger bang for the buck than trying to be very rigid. Mm. Yeah. Prioritizing your people, you know, should be the the number one and, and, you know, profits will come if, if you have a, a good team on your side. We, we talk about this quite a bit about, you know, the personalizing of benefits uh, in today's world and how important that is. And I'll just kind of close with one last one that we, um, we, I don't know if we don't, it's tough to hear it from a lot of startups because it is a cost uh, to the company, but, um, you know, paying for continued education, it doesn't have to be like an MBA or something here, but, you know, you know, taking that time, it could be a mentor and say, hey, look, we're willing to allocate, you know, thousand dollars a month towards an advisor or, or a mentor for you um, because you want to broaden your skill set in product management. You don't have that much r- real world experience in, in, in product. Well, here we'll align you with somebody. So something as simple as that could be, you know, enough to convince someone to come on and join. Um, and we, we, we recommend it, but couldn't encourage it enough to investing back into your, your team to, you know, broaden their skill set. Um, so continued education. Uh, something that we we love to see from from startups. Um, well, I think this is a, a really great episode. We could talk for another 20, 30 minutes, but I, I, I want to be mindful <laughs> of everyone's time. And um, you know, wanted to thank you both for spending time with us today. Uh, this is a, a really important topic. I love hearing each each one of your your journeys and um, how unique they've been. And um, yeah, thank you so much. We we if there's anywhere uh, specific that our uh, audience can find you. You know, feel free to shout it out now or we can, you know, uh, include it in the show notes um, after the fact. Sounds good. Thanks. So thanks so much for having us. Yeah, no, LinkedIn's great. And yeah, thank you for the opportunity. Thanks and so much for being here. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck with Hatchpad. This this is this is a fun, fun platform. Cool. Mike, you uh, get get back to uh, your Wordle for the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, thanks again, guys. Thank you for listening to the Pair Program. If you'd like to continue the conversation from this week's episode, you can do so with the Hatchpad community. Join us at chat.myhatchpad.com.